Hey, buddy. Hey. This year, we uh, didn't get an Australian Podcast Award nomination, but you can vote for us in the listener's choice. Yeah, last year we were nominated and we unfortunately lost, but uh, we didn't uh, have the same luck this year. But you have the opportunity to send us back to the awards. Uh, If you head to the link in the show notes, you can submit your vote for us in the popular vote for this year's awards. Absolutely. All you've got to do is go to the link in the show notes, search for our podcast, but I don't want to be a secondary character, select it, put in your name and your best email address and hit submit. Uh, you'll get a confirmation email so you for your vote to count just make sure you go back to your email find that confirmation and just click confirm and once that's done your vote counts and hopefully we'll be in the top 10 that's right and voting does conclude on the 18th of november so you've still got a couple of weeks left to submit your vote Uh, and if you want to spread the word that would be awesome as well and you'll make us feel like kramer eating kenny rogers chicken what we want to do is take a podcast award and say mulligatani mulligatani and uh run down the street like uh like newman yes exactly we want to do that but anyway Thanks for helping us out and enjoy today's episode. This is going to be my time. Time to taste the fruits and let the juices drip down my chin. I proclaim this the summer of George. But I don't want to be a secondary character. My God, Stephen, it really, truly is going to be the summer of George after uh, what happened today, mate. Yeah, it's the, the summer of Stephen and Ivan and George. Uh, <laughs> and uh, hopefully uh, a lot of our listeners, especially those in Melbourne, Australia, where we are based, we just received the good news a couple of hours ago that the major part of our lockdown, which we've been through for the last four months, are lifting this week and there'll be more announcements next week. So uh, yeah, rip a day because of that. Yeah, let's get on the beers, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, <laughs> I like the slogan. Get on the beers. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's really good, and you can probably sense the uh, the happiness in our voice. I think listening back to old episodes over the last few months, I can sense this subtle kind of sadness or heaviness because of the lockdown. But uh, hopefully, we'll mm. come across a bit lighter and a bit happier uh, in future episodes. Yeah. Today, well, from next week, mate, you're coming over to record, so uh, you'll be back in the Vandalay Studios. So that's very exciting. Yeah. No. Um. It's been what four months now, so I'm looking forward to actually recording in person. A lot less editing for you because uh, you don't have to yeah. account for the delay in recording remotely and uh yeah our rhythm is just a lot better in person so positive across the board yep and be good to see you too mate indeed yes obviously uh, we are friends mm-hmm. and it will be good to see you as a friend not just uh putting the podcast just to see you as a person yes i'll get the invitations ready we'll have a little house party <laughs> <laughs> make sure i don't slip don't, over and don't slip yeah. over. no I'll, I'll be careful <laughs> in case it wasn't obvious <laughs> uh, we are but i don't want to be a secondary character we're a seinfeld podcast out of melbourne australia and uh as i said before i'm steven and uh, across the other end of Melbourne across the mic is uh, my friend Ivan and every week we take an episode of Seinfeld and examine the secondary characters from it and uh, by a fantastic fortuitous uh, coincidence this week we are doing the Summer of George the Summer of George aka Stephen and Ivan that's right the season finale of season 8 episode 22 and uh, quite a few secondary characters and uh, a very wacky episode but uh, enjoyable in most parts yeah this is one of those rare sort of season 8 and 9 episodes that generally makes it in top 20 uh, lists you know normally those lists are bulked out by season three four five six the golden age of seinfeld and you might get an occasional season eight or nine episode this one bizarre jerry uh, a couple of others here and there but yeah very wacky it feels very season eight but 
a lot of classic moments in there. Obviously, the Summer of George being the the main one. Mm, yeah, a very uh, very famous one, especially with the throwbacks to the previous uh, finale, the season seven one, the invitations with uh, the invitations being George's downfall, literally, and him ending up in the hospital speaking to Doctor Wexler, the same doctor who uh, declared that Susan died. Yeah, a bit of rare karma for George, but uh, perfectly justified as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if you want to deliver karma to us, you can email us bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on social media. All those details are in our show notes. Uh, all of our podcasts uh, that we've done in the past are available on whatever podcast app you choose. And if you want to support us, it would be really, really fantastic if you could rate us or review us. Uh, a five-star review goes a long way, not only for lifting our self-esteem and making us feel great, uh, but also for increasing our visibility uh, on the podcast apps that we appear on and uh, exposing us to other fans. And you can support us financially as well. Yes, we are on PayPal for one-off donations and on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. And for $2 a month, you can get bonus access to the podcast Curbcast as well as season 11. And you get access to this episode a bit earlier than everyone else. And uh, our patrons this week, Holly, Nakia, Jeff and Neil, they're joined by our latest patron sub, Dan. Uh, After a bit of a hiatus, he is back with us for $2 a month. So Dan, thank you for jumping on board and helping us out. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it, Dan. We understood uh, a few people dropped off uh, at the start of this year because of COVID-19, obviously putting a bit of financial pressure on people and uh, a lot of people reprioritizing where their money went. So the fact that you've decided that we're worth a couple of bucks a month again, Dan, means a lot to us. So thank you if you do listen to this episode. Finally, if you want to check us out on Facebook, uh, beyond our Facebook page, we uh, run the biggest Facebook page on Seinfeld, Seinfeldisms. Uh, It's over 100,000 members now uh, and we've got lots of cool things coming up. And more of those details will be announced over the next couple of months. Um, A lot of cool things for 2021. Yeah, hopefully some better stuff than uh, 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're uh, Everyone's, you know, it's reached the, sort of the end of the year. You know, Christmas is coming up, restrictions are lifting. I think everyone's just sort of willing to, as best as they can, put this uh, year in the rearview mirror and have their own summer of whoever their name is and, uh, you know, mm. make 2021 a bit of a better year than this one's been. And we do acknowledge as well that people in the Northern Hemisphere, especially in Europe and the US, are uh, having a bit of a hard time with COVID with uh, third waves across many countries. So uh, you take care and stay safe and uh, um, hopefully we can give you a bit of comfort during these very difficult times for you. Yes. And I, uh, just to add to that, obviously, uh, the positivity of our lifting of restrictions uh, is, you know, from our context here in Australia, does not take away from the difficulty that uh, a lot of, like Ivan said, Europeans and North Americans and, you know, any other listeners that we may have in uh, areas outside of those two places will be experiencing coming into winter with the second waves and more restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. So if you are one of those people, best of luck, stay safe. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can provide a tiny bit of joy and distraction during what is uh, bound to be a pretty, pretty rough three or four months. For sure. But anyway, mate, let's kick off the episode with Seinfeld-isms. I have two this week. What about you? I've got one. Great. Well, I'll kick off. So uh, my first Seinfeld-ism, I listened to one of my favorite podcasts, The Weekly Planet, a couple of Aussie guys. I think they're based in Melbourne and uh, they talk about, you know, like pop culture, comics, TV shows, films, you know, that kind of nerdy stuff that I really enjoy. They were discussing in their latest episode, the worst and most controversial series finales and uh, Seinfeld was one of them. Of course, usually appears in all Mm. those lists. And I am aware of The Weekly Planet. I listen to their, it's kind of their B podcast they put out, I think every Monday, it's called Caravan of Garbage. And they basically do a 20 or 25 minute review of a really terrible movie and they're hilarious. Ah, yes, I have heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to that and their main podcast. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. No, they are pretty, uh, pretty funny dudes. <laughs> they are good dudes. Yeah. <laughs> actually, the one of the guys sounds like Will Anderson, don't you think? Yeah, he does actually. I never thought of that. But now that you pointed out, he does. Yeah. I thought it was Will Anderson's podcast. I'm like, what's he doing on the Weekly Planet? But no, it's, it's someone that sounds exactly like him. 
<laughs> it was crazy. He's already got his own massive podcast. I think he's got two podcasts, actually. I don't think he needs a third one. I think he's got like three or four. He's got yeah. like a footy one, and then he's got one with the, with Charlie Clawson. Like it's, oh. a I think, a chat pod. And then he's got Willosophy. That's his interview one. Yeah, he's got like three or four at least, I think. And he's on, um, I think he might still be on radio. I'm not sure. He was on Triple M for a while. I don't know if he's still there. Busy dude. Yeah, very busy. Yeah, fingers in all the pies. He's, he's been around for a long time, like 30 years or something. He's, he's been doing pretty well. Yeah, no, he's a, uh, a staple of Australian comedy. And again, to all our international listeners, if you don't know who Will Anderson is, he's one of the premier comedians in Australia. I think he's actually pretty big outside of uh, Australia, maybe the UK, maybe in America. Maybe. He does all right, but especially in Australia and probably New Zealand too, he's quite popular. Yeah, I think when he was on the Gruen Transfer, which was like a, a weekly talk show here about the advertising industry and the tricks they use to make you buy stuff, uh, that kind of increased his profile as well beyond the comedy world. Yeah, it did. And plus, he'd also um, gained popularity in shows like Glasshouse on ABC and stuff. So yeah, he was, I think he was in TV in like the late 90s he started, early 2000s. And uh, yeah, no, he's just, he's, he's one of those real, uh, he's uh, one of those slashies, you know, he's in everything yeah it's kind of a it's a similar path for a lot of australian comedians you know they get big in the comedy world and then they cross over to just mainstream media you know like half the people on the project on channel 10 you know peter hellier kate oh, i can't remember her name is it kate anyway uh you know they were mm. they were involved with rove and uh now they're just sort of mainstream television hosts so it's a, it's a pretty common path for a lot of aussie comedians i think you mean carrie bickmore carrie bickmore yeah. that's the one yeah yeah um but yeah but anyway my second seinfeldism i was driving past richmond i went down uh, victoria street and it was more of like a curb your enthousi- enthusiasm ism more than anything. There was some street art on the wall of a building from uh, Melbourne artist Lush Sucks. He's a street artist who's done a lot of famous pictures or, or wall art that's gone up on Instagram and stuff. There was one with Larry David and he had a coffee in his hand and it said Latte Larry's. And um, I was wondering what Latte Larry's was, but apparently it's a fictional coffee shop that appears in Curb in the latest season. So uh, <laughs> we're doing Curbcast Steve and we're watching it for the first time, but we haven't quite got to that point yet. So uh, yeah, when we do, we'll understand what that was. Yeah. And we'll, uh, you know, maybe we can get a photo in front of it or something like that to talk about uh, when we get to that episode, whenever that is years down the line. Mm. And what about you, mate? What are your Seinfeldisms? Yeah, I've got one. So uh, I was almost going to have none, but luckily one came through as it does, usually in the in the clutch time. I was looking for uh, episodes of The Summer of George uh, in podcast form uh, just to listen to. You know, I was like hearing other people's perspective perspectives on the episodes we're doing. And uh, I went onto to Spotify and I typed in The Summer of George and an EP by a band called Polar Bear Club came up. And uh, I used to be a massive Polar Bear Club fan. They're sort of a punk band from, I think they're from Rochester or Baltimore, somewhere up there in the northeast of America. America. And uh, they were quite prominent in the late 2000s, early 2010s in the sort of punk scene. And uh, they released, I think it was in 2009, a three-track EP called The Summer of George. The lyrics <laughs> nice. have nothing to do with Seinfeld. You know, they sing mostly about personal issues and, and sort of pretty deep uh, and heavy stuff. But for whatever reason, they just decided to name an EP The Summer of George. So I actually had to listen to it and it, it took me right back to a long time ago when I used to listen to them a lot. So it was a it was a fun, accidental, uh, nostalgic Seinfeldism. Oh, beautiful, man. That, that could probably be our theme song for this week yeah no they're, they're actually really good like if anyone's listening and they like sort of pop punk or you know easy listening punk music with uh with some good melodies and catchy catchy riffs uh check them out polar bear club there two thumbs up from me nice man very good but anyway from seinfeldisms to seinfeld news uh, you told me before we started recording that you've only got one seinfeld uh seinfeld news piece yeah so through the week uh we do 
and just as a little tiny preface, we do tend to avoid politics, especially in Seinfeld news, just to keep the show as apolitical as possible. And there have been quite a few recent situations in real life involving politics, especially American politics that were heavily related to Seinfeld, um, but we chose not to include them in Seinfeld news because they were just too politicized. But this one I think was worthy of an inclusion because uh, there's a lot to do with it that isn't about the politics per se. So through the week, uh, there was a Democratic Party of Texas fundraiser. It was a virtual fundraiser and uh, it involved Larry David, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Jason Alexander. They got on board and just did what they do on fundraisers, talk about politics, etc. But uh, throughout the conversation, it goes for about an hour and I believe you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, they talked a lot about Seinfeld um, and they related a lot of Seinfeld episodes and scenes to what's happening uh, in US politics at the moment. Uh, one highlight uh, was that during the conversation, Larry David uh, mentioned his favorite episode of Seinfeld. Uh, and it is unsurprisingly the contest. Uh, which I thought was an interesting little tidbit. Oh yeah, very cool because that's the one where uh, Larry would have walked from the show if he um, if they didn't do the contest. Yeah, he threatened to quit if the um, the NBC executives didn't give that episode the green light. Uh, they do actually talk. He does talk a bit about and JLD and uh, Jason Alexander do talk a bit about what that was like at the time. You know the the sort of the controversy around the script and on the set. You know before it was even filmed. You know and then again when it was released months down the line. So uh, yeah, some interesting bits and pieces talked about. One other thing I, I wanted to bring up as well, because I thought it was funny, Beto O'Rourke, who is a, uh, I think he's a democratic politician and I think he was running for president. He uh, he, jumped yeah. on the, he jumped on the fundraiser for a bit. And uh, again, I won't talk about the political stuff he talked about, but he did say when he jumped on that uh, he'd recently watched The Marine Biologist. And uh, he thought it was a funny <laughs> coincidence because in that episode, uh, Yuri Testikov, the Russian writer, throws out the organizer from the limo window and it hits Karim uh, in the head. Yeah, in the head, yeah. Yeah, and she yeah. has to go hospital and when she uh when she uh, links up with jerry to you know figure out what had happened uh in that conversation she actually mentions that she can't afford health insurance so she's got this big hospital bill and uh you know beto said that he thought it was a funny coincidence because you know health insurance and and um i guess the medical industry is is a pretty uh fraught political issue in the u.s and uh you know mm, it is it, yeah and then he tied it into that issue politically speaking which again we won't go into so yeah definitely mm. worth worth a look if you're not interested in the politics that's fine it's worth just sort of loading up and just sort of skipping through and uh trying to find and isolate the bits of conversation that are about seinfeld and it's just good to see jld larry david and jason alexander together talking you know it seems really relaxed and fun and yeah it's, it's really really good yeah reminiscing on old times yeah exactly mm-hmm, that's it um no other news for you no that's it beautiful let's have a quick break mate and when we come back we're talking about some secondary characters from season eight episode 22 the finale from that season the summer of george you're listening to but I don't want to be a secondary character. Summer of George first aired in the US on May 15th, 1997, directed by Andy Ackman and written by Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer. It is the season eight finale. With three months severance pay from the Yankees, George decides that he's going to have a great summer. Things don't go quite go as planned. Jerry, meanwhile, is dating someone new named Lynette. She's played by Amanda Peet, who he invites to attend the Tony Awards with him. When he picks her up, however, she seems to already have a live-in boyfriend named Lyle, played by Blake Gibbons. Kramer is also at the awards ceremony and gets dragged on stage with some of the winners. He basks in the glow of having won a Tony and the producers decide to use him to get rid of their star Raquel Welsh, played by herself, a very feisty one. At her work, Elaine makes a comment about a co-worker and is accused of being catty and now the co-worker's Sam. She's played by Molly Shannon and she doesn't move her arms when she walks. Like a caveman. <laughs> like a caveman. <laughs> I know, a cavewoman in her case. Other secondary characters, Jay Peterman, he makes an appearance. He's played by John O'Hurley, of course. A Dr. 
Dr. Wexler, the doctor who declared Susan dead in the previous season finale. He's played by Victor Raider Wexler. He is back for another appearance. Peter Dennis plays Lou, the Scarsdale surprise producer. David Mandel, he's one of the writers on Seinfeld. He actually plays himself. He's the guy who goes up to George and says if they need someone uh, for Frolf, if he wants to join. And uh, Neil Flynn from Scrubs, he's the janitor. He plays one of the cops at the end. Oh, yeah, he does too. Mm-hmm. Bit of trivia about the episode, Steve. So in this episode, Kramer has to fire Raquel Welsh from the fictional musical Scarsdale Surprise. And uh, this story was actually based on Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, firing Faye Dunaway from Sunset Boulevard. Ah, do you know why he fired her? No idea. I didn't do the research on that. But it's actually funny because Raquel Welsh, she was actually fired from a production for a film, which I'll mention a bit later when we talk about her. So, it, and, and she was fired for like no reason. So, yeah, it, it's kind of like life imitating art in this case. Art okay. imitating life. Yeah, that's a funny coincidence. I have a couple of trivia points as well. So like many, many storylines, especially well-known storylines uh, in the show, Jerry's storyline in this episode was inspired by a true life. So Alec Bird, uh, Bird, one of the writers of the episode, had a crush on an actress by the name of Dylan Tays, and she actually plays uh, Jerry's girlfriend in The Calzone. And he went over to her house. He asked her out on a date, um, actually to go to the Oscars. And uh, he turned up to her house, and it turns out that she actually had a boyfriend. Uh, oh, brilliant. She hadn't told him that. So he was a bit surprised when he when he rolled up. He was thinking that it was a date. And obviously she was thinking that it was just either an opportunity to go to the Oscars or just a platonic, you know, outing. But apparently her boyfriend, who was a photographer, I don't actually have his name, wasn't too thrilled to see him. Um, unlike Lyle. Like Lyle just seems very happy-go-lucky. He's just like, yeah, whatever, babe, you know, all good. Yeah, have yeah. a good time. I guess that's the only difference. You know, Alec Berg's photographer rival wasn't happy, whereas Lyle is just, he couldn't care less. <laughs> no, he's like, whatever, man. <laughs> he's just so happy-go-lucky and he's going. I love him. Yeah, he's great. Molly Shannon, who plays Sam in the episode, she actually auditioned for previous roles on the show. Uh, she auditioned for the role of Toby in The Fire from season five. You're great. You're really great. And uh, she auditioned for the part of Katie in The Diplomats Club and The Abstinence. Uh, she, Katie was uh, Jerry's assistant, you know, the really annoying one. Yeah. Yeah. So she went for both of those roles and wasn't successful. Wow. You've got to respect her tenacity. She keeps coming back and eventually she landed a role. Yes. Yeah, so a character who doesn't use their arms when they're walking. So <laughs> close enough, I guess. Yeah. My second trivia point is that the working title for this episode was actually The Dude, which is a reference that Jerry and George make to Lyle. Uh, so I don't know what prompted them to, to change it, but I think it was a good idea because The Summer of George is not only an iconic storyline, but just an iconic title of a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, it certainly works. I'm actually glad they went with Summer of George because it was kind of like, even though Jerry's storyline was quite prominent, George's was more like the main plot. So I think it, it made sense that they went with that. And it just has a catchy name too. It's like yeah. Summer of George. Yeah, yeah, if you've never seen this episode and you're scrolling through Netflix and you're like, oh, I wonder what episode I'm going to watch. The Summer of George sounds interesting, whereas the dude is just so vague. So vague. I mean, the dude sounds like the guy from The Big Lebowski, Jeff Bridges' character. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember actually if The Big Lebowski came out before this or after this. It was around 96 or 97, so maybe they actually changed it. You know, there's a chance they could have changed it because the dude is so synonymous with The Big Lebowski and they thought maybe it'll avoid to avoid confusion, we'll change it. Who knows? But uh, Yeah, probably. Whatever their motivating reason was. I'm glad they did. Yeah, for sure. Just one more bit of trivia I have, Steve. So Jerry, when he's wearing only a towel, um, Lynette asks him to sh if he shaved his chest and he says no. That is also a reference to the muffin tops from uh, earlier in season eight where he shaved his chest. Yeah, yeah. I thought, uh, again, another nice little callback. They're really good at that where they just sort of make reference to previous episodes and uh, that was a really smart one, actually. Yeah, actually, sorry. It was the previous.
previous episode before the summer of George, the muffin tops. So yeah, it was good how they had the reference, you know, from the earlier episode on. Yeah, I think a um a Seinfeld super fan would have picked up that if they didn't make that continuation. If uh, if Jerry had a full chest of hair again, they would have gone, hang on, a week ago he had no chest hair. How has it grown so quickly? So, uh, you know, the fact that they thought of that when they were writing this episode to make it, uh, you know, continuous is, uh, you know, just a testament to their skill. Probably could have said that because it's summer, the hair grows faster. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think that's an urban legend. I'm not even sure if that's true. Yeah, it's probably an urban legend, old wives tale, whatever you call it. Who knows? Uh, the final bit of trivia <laughs> I have is that it's more of a goof, really, than uh, or, or a mistake. Yeah, yep. We just complimented Seinfeld on how meticulous they are. But uh, this one, you know, again, no one's perfect. They made a bit of an oversight. George, uh, the doctor um, at the end tells George that uh, he won't be able to walk, you know, and that's because he's been lazing around and uh, he's got a uh, advanced form of atrophy. But uh, in the previous <laughs> scene with George, he decides to just spontaneously play Frolf. So the fact that he, you know, was inactive, he has atrophy, walked in the park, played Frolf, and then the doctor told him that uh, he may never be able to walk again unless he has some serious uh, physical therapy is a bit of a, a bit of a goof. Yeah, a bit odd because you think if George was playing Frolf, uh, you know, maybe his legs would wobble and he'd fall over. And he'd, you know, in the next scene with the invitations, he'd look all disappointed. He'd probably be like, I couldn't play Frolf because my legs are feeling numb or something. Yeah. yeah, and if he couldn't play Frolf, I think he would make a point of being disappointed about it or saying that he's disappointed because he actually says earlier in the episode, I want to play Frolf. So it's obviously something he really wants to do. Yeah, he's like, and then Jerry's like, golf? No, Frisbee golf. <laughs> golf with the Frisbee. I like when Jerry has a little dig at him and he goes, so you're still decomposing? Decompressing. <laughs> decompressing, yeah. Well, George is essentially decomposing, just sitting there watching TV with his uh, modified couch. Well, atrophy is is a form of muscle decomposition. You know, your muscles start to break It is. Down. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of relevant. Yeah, when I was in hospital, I had to do rehab twice a day because they said that if you don't do anything, your muscles will atrophize. So, because I couldn't move much after my op. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can understand completely why it's important that it's important to move even if you don't move your arms you yeah. should walk i'm pretty sure your muscles start to atrophy i mean the amount is negligible at the start but i think it's after 12 hours of inactivity your muscles actually start to break down and then it just escalates and accelerates after that yeah scary huh yeah crazy and speaking of arms let's talk about sam shall we yep cool she's played by like i mentioned molly shannon she's known for her emmy nominated roles in saturday night live and will and grace she's also appeared in the films never been kissed and scary movie four a couple of forgettable ones i think so i looked up Steve, people who don't use their arms when they're walking. And I thought maybe it's like a personal thing or maybe it's something, you know, maybe it's to do with shyness or something, but uh, she possibly might have a neurological condition. So apparently not moving, being able to move your arms could be a sign of, uh, early sign rather of Parkinson's disease. Oh, wow. That's yeah. surprising to me because I always associate, you know, Parkinson's with unwanted movement, not enough movement. So uh, that's, mm. obviously I'm not a neurologist or a medical expert of any kind, but, uh, you know, that's contradictory to me to my understanding of what Parkinson's is and what what you're trying to treat but uh you know I guess yeah there's a lot I don't know <laughs> yeah because I was trying to figure out why would she not move her arms and uh, I was trying to come up with some kind of theory and I'm like you know it, sometimes we come up with a theory and you know we, we run it past each other and we might think yeah that makes sense or that doesn't but I literally could not figure out anything about Sam like why she didn't move her arms I, I, I couldn't so I thought you know what I'm going to use real world applications and I'm going to go on Wikipedia or Google or whatever and find the answer and uh, yeah it 
it's possibly neurological. So she must have an undiagnosed neurological condition. I mean, because it makes sense because in the final scene in the credits, she's in rehab learning how to move her arms. So maybe like she took into heart what Elaine said, even after all the, the sniping and stuff and all the stuff she did at Elaine's desk. And she probably thought, maybe I should go see a doctor. And maybe uh, she had scans and then if they found something on her brain and they said, you know, you need rehab to you know help you recover. Yeah, I think she was aware of the fact that she didn't move her arms before working at Jay Peterman. I think she's gotten shit for it before because her reaction, even though Elaine is pretty, you know, behind her back and to her face is actually pretty mean about it. Her reaction seems uh, quite extreme. You know, the fact that she threatens her over the phone and she, uh, you know, goes into her offices and sort of like swipes things off her desk. I think Elaine, you know, I think she's copped a lot of shit for it for a long time. And Elaine was just the final straw and she just kind of snapped. It's the final straw too, but we got to understand too that um, Sam heard from other co-workers about Elaine being catty. So she already had these, you know, assumptions about Elaine. So the fact that Elaine came in and while she's trying to be polite, saying you should move your arms you know sam couldn't take it and she she had those ideas about elaine already and she says well you're already a bad person and catty from what other people have told me so i'm just going to treat you like shit so she's actually you know used uh, physical actions against elaine yeah i guess it was a mix you know it was a final straw but it was exacerbated her reaction was exacerbated by what she already thought about elaine mm, yeah i think so too what was your theory behind her arms not moving look i actually didn't come up with a theory i yeah it's hard just, wasn't it i just thought that as you were talking about it being a new logical issue i was trying to think of anything you know else that it may be caused by and the only thing that came to mind was that maybe she actually used to uh, be an overswinger you know her arms were too too active and then people <laughs> gave a shit about that she became self-conscious and then rather than sort of go back to like a normal level of swinging she overcompensated and she just developed almost like a complex about it and she didn't swing her arms at all you know it was an overcorrection from the other from the other extreme so she looked like a soldier doing a military drill yeah like a like a um, like a royal soldier with the black fluffy hats on yeah yeah but it being just a neurological issue makes sense you know it's true to real life and there's really no other explanation i can think of and that's what i think because i think sam finally decided you know what i better go see someone about this and yeah she went and uh, yeah and i reckon they probably if, if we go from real world you know research um she probably she might have been diagnosed with early onset parkinson's or something i'm not sure but let's assume that she was uh, and then they probably thought you know what you let's give you rehab to learn to use your arms again yeah i imagine um it would be quite liberating you know learning how to use your arms because it's not only it wouldn't just make you feel kind of normal i guess uh and it would stop people giving you shit which would be a relief but i think it would just make walking a bit easier because you swing your arms for balance yeah yeah you walking do with your arms hanging by their sides like the whole like you're holding a couple of hams you know would be sort of it would make walking a bit more of a, a bit more of a laborious thing mm, it would yeah so no it doesn't make sense yeah no it worked out well for her we don't see her as much in the episode as i thought because i watched the summer of george probably six months ago and i thought she was in more scenes but she's actually not in it too much she's more uh she's more spoken about by elaine you know to other people yeah it's you know you hear on the voicemail and elaine mentions her to jerry and to the cops yeah you're right she's only in i think three scenes maybe the initial scene the diner and when she comes in and swipes uh elaine's desk i think they're the only scene she's in yeah and also in the final credits with george trying to learn to walk too oh yeah true so four four scenes that's all i really have about sam do you have anything else more no i don't buddy should we talk about lynette yeah cool she's played by amanda pete she's known for 2012 and the whole nine yards i feel like steve that because she's with lyle i feel like that he's like a deadbeat who doesn't have a job and i feel like lynette you know she's working as a waitress and she's trying to scrape money together to find you know for rent and bills and stuff i feel like she's the one who's trying her best to you know get them by okay i have a slightly different 
different take on Lynette. I actually think that she comes from quite a wealthy family. So the establishing shot of her apartment is, uh, it, it has the address and she lives on Columbus Avenue, which is right down the center of Manhattan. And uh, I imagine, I don't know a whole lot about uh, New York real estate, but I would assume that living right in the heart of Manhattan is no cheap place. And she doesn't live in a tiny little shitty apartment. It's quite a nice apartment. And the fact that she, uh, if you look in her apartment, if you look in the background, she has quite a few uh, like nice things, like nice paintings and nice ornaments and nice furniture. So I actually think that she's hmm. like a trust fund baby or just independently wealthy. And that, you know, she just wants to work as a waitress just so that she's got something to do. Yeah. And, and she seems to really enjoy the finer things in life. You know, she she dresses really nicely to go to the to the Tonys with Jerry. You know, she's wearing gloves and the sort of thing is called a throw or a sash over, over her arms. And, um, you know, when Jerry finally becomes her boyfriend, you know, she's throwing like parties sort of like on the day of. She's like, you know, we're having a party tonight. She goes and gets her nails done. She's very sort of like woman about town, almost like a socialite in a way. So I think she comes from money and she's just working as a waitress just to sort of occupy her time more than to survive. Fair enough. Well, in that case, so Lyle would be the deadbeat then and she's probably sick of being with Lyle, uh, you know, because he doesn't, you know, have a job or whatever. And she'd rather be with Jerry who's more successful and, you know, has something going for him. Yeah, I was going to talk a bit about Lyle, but we'll save that for when we actually do his character analysis. But uh, I do disagree with you slightly on him being a deadbeat per se. Okay, what do you think? Well, I think that he's more like just more of a blue collar guy. Um, You know, I, I would assume that Lynette comes from like uh, you know, an upper, like an upper class part of New York. But Lyle, I don't think he's a deadbeat. I think he's, you know, maybe he's just a tradie or something like that. Um, he just seems like, right. to me, he seems too well adjusted to be a deadbeat, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the typical deadbeat is someone who they don't want to be a deadbeat, but they kind of are. They're, they're unhappy or they just, they can't get a job or there's something going on that they've got problems. Whereas Lyle just seems right. like he's cruising. You know, he's just like, hey, Jerry, how's it going? You know, he has beers in the shower and he just, he just, he's just all happy. You know? <laughs> strange guy is coming over to take his girlfriend to an award show and he's just like have a good time so the fact that he doesn't seem to have any sort of problems uh and that he's like pretty happy-go-lucky to me suggests that rather than a deadbeat i think he's just you know i don't think he earns a whole lot of money but i think he's just happy he's just like yeah i work a job i'm a carpenter you know i enjoy beers he's just a simple blue collar kind of guy yeah yeah probably obviously not from new york he'd probably be from the south or something or texas yeah he's got whatever kind of a he doesn't have like a super strong uh southern accent but you can detect something there. Mm, okay, well, that blows my theory out of the water. I had a whole thing about Lynette being from like a blue collar background and, you know, she's the one who's paying the bills and the rent while Lyle's the deadbeat. But um, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, I think your theory probably sounds more plausible because you're right. I mean, Columbus Avenue is pretty expensive. So how can she afford a place? Yeah. And I mean, you know, a waitress in New York uh, living in a pretty nice apartment in a very expensive uh, area of Manhattan, to me, yeah, again, suggests that she's either independently wealthy. Maybe she was a high earning person and you know, she's just decided to just do waitressing as a break or she's quit some you know she was a lawyer or something i don't know or that her family is wealthy. well how's this for a theory if we go because i'm having a bit of trouble trying to comprehend like if you come from money why would you want to do waiting maybe she owns the cafe if you want to go and buy that and maybe she like she likes doing different things like she manages the cafe and then she might do a bit of waitressing you know if there's short staff or maybe just to meet the customers or see them again so i guess if we went by that she probably owns the coffee shop yeah if she can afford a place like that yeah and she just does little bits you know, here and there to help out. Yeah, she just chips in when uh, there's a there's uh, a need. That is yeah. plausible as well. Um, you know, it seems like a good cafe. I mean, Jerry and George seem pretty comfortable there and they have been there before. So uh, I don't think they would go to a cafe that wasn't good. You know, if it's good, it probably means it's successful. So yeah, that would that would explain a lot as well. And they say that she's a good waitress too. Yeah, so that means, I mean, you know, anyone can be a good waitress or, or waiter, but the fact that she is 
good and she gets a positive compliment from two guys who don't really compliment anyone for anything to me suggests that she's she's good because she cares you know it's her business she has to be good you know because it's her it's her livelihood if we're going with that theory yeah well there you go yeah because i was going to say like why if you had money why would you want to do waiting you know you're sure it might be something to do but i think it's probably a bit more than that so i guess we can go yeah wait a manager who does different different things as well she's more of a hands-on manager and then jerry and george probably don't know it they've probably seen her you know a few times and they don't know she's the manager you know she's like oh she, she must be a pretty good waitress yeah no that that would make sense i think that's the best overall theory but just to point out you being confused or, or really understanding why would you do a job like waitressing if you've got a lot of money a lot of people mm. wealthy they just want to you know working for them is just something to occupy their time you know they don't need to go out and earn lots of money but they're happy to just do uh you know low-paying jobs just to feel productive you know work is more than income for people okay fair enough cool yeah. all right but i just I, had a bit of trouble understanding it yeah no no i mean look if i was into if i didn't have to work i would wouldn't work 40 hours a week but i might work part-time you know i might do a bit of volunteer work or sure work at a i might work as a waiter you know so who knows but uh yeah i think your your idea about uh her owning the cafe you know which would explain her her ability to afford a nice apartment in that part of town and also being a good waitress uh is the best overall theory hmm. yeah makes sense for sure that's all hmm. we had about her we've kind of already covered lyle do you have anything else about him that we haven't talked about well no i mean well he's played by uh, blake gibbons he's known for uh, uh hollywood homicide in general hospital the tv shows um no i i don't have anything else yeah i think you've i think we've covered him too yeah we kind of covered him uh, as we we're talking about Lynette but yeah I really like Lyle he's just like he's almost like a breath of fresh air he's just like just doesn't care he's just like yeah man like let's yep. have some beers and- unpretentious yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> unpretentious he just good yeah happy go lucky easy going friendly he's just like he doesn't see Jerry as a threat um and I think nah, just- not at all you know, and I don't think it's because he thinks less of Jerry. I just think he honestly thinks that, you know, Jerry's a stand-up guy and that he has the best intentions. And I think he's just got this positive disposition that carries him through life. Well, what do you think? Like, because I find it interesting how we don't see Lyle again after Lynette breaks up with him. So I found it interesting how Lyle didn't, like, make a comeback or, you know, was in a later scene. Did you find that strange? Because usually in these situations, you might see the boyfriend again, but he just disappears. Look, I would I would imagine Lyle being Lyle, he would just take it in his stride. You know, Sam would, uh, sorry, uh, Lynette would sit him down and be like, you know, I think it's time we break up and I've got feelings for Jerry. And Lyle would probably be like, no worries, babe, I'm going to go have a beer, have a good life and just walk out the door <laughs> not really care, you know? Yeah, just, fair. You know, you've got to follow your heart, babe. It's all good. He almost, in a way, reminds me of like Bill and Ted. He's just got this like almost California happy-go-lucky, like, yeah, cool. Like nothing, nothing phases Yeah, but more of like the Southern kind of accent. Yeah, he's like, if Bill and Ted came from Texas, that's kind of Lyle. Yeah. They were tradies as opposed to wannabe rock stars. Yeah, well, Lyle seems like also because he's in like the flannel and stuff he could be like a skateboarder or surfer or something too he's got like that bleach not not quite bleach but it's like that kind of sandy blonde brown hair too if he is you know a surfer or a skateboarder i don't think he would do it professionally he seems a bit too old no more, more just for fun or maybe in the old days he used to do it yeah yeah and he's you know now he's just maybe he builds skate parks yeah maybe <laughs> so they can both afford that apartment he yeah. designs skate parks and she owns a and manages a restaurant or a cafe yeah something like that upper middle class people yeah, yeah it's a white collar income but a blue collar heart that's Lyle. Yeah, I think so. No, I really like Lyle. He's good. Usually I go for the grumpy, uh, you know, malcontents, but uh, I really like Lyle. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you go for the cool, you know, mid late 30s, mid 40s guys. Yeah, I think so. I guess there's some commonality between them. <laughs> mm, there is, yeah. Anyway, shall we talk about the star of the episode, the one and only Raquel Welsh? Sure. 
she's played by herself. Uh, she, oh, I'm telling you, she's probably one of the most famous people to ever grace the screens of, uh, of Seinfeld. She's had an excellent career in film, television, and theatre. Uh, she was a pinup girl and a sex symbol in the 1960s. Uh, she's most famous for appearing in her prehistoric bikini in the film poster for One Million Years BC. And uh, other notable films she's been in include the Kansas City Bomber and her Golden Globe winning role in The Three Musketeers and also the film The Last of Sheila. Like I mentioned, Steve, was I, I thought that Raquel Welsh was fired in something. I thought it was probably like at first before I did my research, it might have been a send up of Raquel Welch being fired from a theatre production and Raquel was so self-aware of it that she'd parodied herself in the episode. She was actually fired in real life in a production of the 1982 film Cannery Row. Uh, she was let go by the producers without any notice at all. So very similar to this situation. She sued MGM, the producers or the uh, distribution company at the time for breach of contract. And uh, as a result, Raquel Welch, she'd been in films for 20, 30 years at that point. She was blackballed by the film industry and she ended up being in television and theatre. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Blackboard, yeah. So she never got a film role ever again. The only film she did was like made for TV stuff. And uh, yeah, and that was it. That's uh, that's pretty harsh. I mean, if an actress or anyone, uh, you know, complains about someone and they're blackballed, I mean, that just goes to show you that there's sort of uneven power, I guess, in, in a lot of industries. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty brutal. I mean, it's not like she never acted again, but I imagine going from, you know, movies are seen as like, you know, the most desirable form of acting. You know, a lot of people are on TV, but they want to be in movies and a lot of uh, musicians want to be movie stars, etc. So to sort of to go from movies back down to TV and theatre, I imagine would have been uh, quite rough for her. Yeah, quite rough because she was like in the 60s, like one of the big stars. You know, she was basically the successor to Marilyn Monroe. And and it was interesting because Raquel Welsh, she kind of, because she didn't have like blonde hair like Marilyn Monroe, because a lot of starlets in the 40s and 50s were more like blondes, you know, like Monroe. But Raquel Welsh, she was uh, uh, essentially like a brunette, you know, brown haired, you know, that, that sort of thing. She had that kind of hair and uh, she became a star and she broke the mold. So she was, it was quite uh, iconic. Yeah, no, I know the poster. It's uh, it's one of those posters that one of those images that just sort of you know stick with you. They're iconic. Mm, yeah, very famous poster that's in many uh, men's bedrooms or man caves, <laughs> especially film lovers. I think so. I've got a feeling it actually might be one of the posters that uh, Andy uses in uh, Shawshank Redemption because I know he changes posters. Oh yeah, I think I think the poster that poster is one of them. I think. Oh, for the 60s. Yeah, probably. Because uh, yeah. the One Million Years BC came out in 67 or 68 from what I read. So, yeah, that was around that time, I think, where Andy uh, leaves, you know, he escapes around that time, 60s, yeah. 70s. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. If it isn't, yeah. it's still a famous poster. I'm guessing, you know, even though we assume that it was quite rough for Raquel, uh, Raquel, Raquel in the 80s, <laughs> when she was blackballed from the movie industry. Obviously, she got over it enough to make fun of herself in this episode. You know, I'm guessing after, what, 15, 14, 15 years, she accepted her, her lot and, uh, you know, was happy enough that she was still acting on TV and uh, was happy enough that she was willing to sort of make fun of herself uh, in this role. Yeah, I like that. I like when actors, you know, play themselves and they're so self-aware and they, you know, they play something that might be, you know, what would have happened in real life or, you know, they just want to do a send-up of themselves. I really appreciate that, you know. It seems like, I don't know what Raquel Welsh is like personally. Like, I have, I didn't read about that. I don't know whether, like, her being, you know, rough and tough is, you know, part of her persona or just like a parody or something. But I appreciate how the actors can jump on a show like Seinfeld and have a bit of fun. You know, like John Voight biting Kramer's arm. He played himself and uh, and that as well. So yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, actors, you know, the stereotype of an actor is that they just take themselves a bit too seriously and uh, they're not very good at making fun of themselves. But yeah, the fact that she 
was willing to do that after such a rough thing to have happened to her, yeah, I think is a, a sign that she doesn't take herself overly seriously. Yeah. I feel like time maybe healed and she had all that, you know, the decade, decade and a half, whatever it was to heal. And uh, yeah, she uh, got over it. And yeah, she, uh, like, I don't know the history of how she got on Seinfeld, but I think for the episode, they wanted someone who had like a huge, like illustrious career. And Raquel Welsh, I mean, yeah, like I said, she's still going today. She looks fantastic. She's like in her 70s or something. She looks brilliant. She looks like, a, you know, a 50 year old. She's crazy. But I feel like they wanted someone with that star power, kind of like, you know, Bette Midler, you know, that kind of level of stardom. So, uh, yeah, it was a good casting choice. Yeah, no, she she did a really good job. I uh, I liked when she was on the phone and she kind of played that stereotypical, you know, uh, monster theater actor, like a even more than a diva, you know, whatever, like just a just a total, just a total bitch, for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, when Craig mm. walks in and he's terrified and uh, you hear her on the phone, she's like something, something, you know, I'll feed your genitals to a wolf. Kids. <laughs> and he's like, kids, she's yeah. a kids. It's like she's a daughter crazy. or son or something. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't tolerate <laughs> Kramer being mealy mouthed about why he's there you know he's trying to he's trying to sort of get to his point in this roundabout way he's like well based on the parameters of the blah 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 blah, blah and she just goes out with it and uh kramer kind of <laughs> you don't move your arms and you look like a gorilla i yeah, gotta go now squeaks out <laughs> and she goes what and uh beats the shit out of him. yeah and raquel welsh is just so violent you know she beats kramer up in a lane and uh yeah i look i don't know if she's like that in real life but uh <laughs> it's a good uh, i'm sure it's like a parody or you know just like a joke on her yeah i think uh it's just a comedic decision they made for this episode and Raquel was you know self-aware enough and humorous enough to just go along with it mm, I think so too do you have any other notes about any of the secondaries uh no I mean there's the other character Lou he's the producer of Scarsdale Surprise but he just seemed like a toff you know one of those you know theater wankers I don't know <laughs> and uh yeah and for some reason Kramer he was part of the you know the Tony Award party he got brought on stage was it actually Lou that brought him on stage or was it someone else in that group yeah because someone like led Kramer on yeah I honestly can't remember yeah I don't think it was Lou. Lou probably would have known who it was. He's in, he's in, he's in the crew and stuff. Yeah, not sure. Uh, the mm. note that I had, we've talked about Jay Peterman at length. He has his own episode, so go back in our feed and check that out. I just yeah. love, you know, and nothing happens in this episode that adds to his character that we have talked about, haven't talked about already. But uh, I just, one of my favorite lines in this episode of Jay Peterman is in this episode when he goes, we have ourselves a good old fashioned cat fight. Just the way he says it makes me Yeah, laugh. and I love how he barks like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, Elaine it's like, woof. <laughs> That's right. And, and then he goes, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, oh, right. Round. And he goes, oh, yes, round. Round. Yeah. 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 I just it's one of my Check favorite five. Peterman scenes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very brief. It's one of those episodes where he's only in for like 10 seconds and it's good. Yeah, no it is. Yeah. Anyway, that's all the secondaries for the summer of George, mate. Uh let's take a really quick break and when we come back, we're going to find out where the episode sits in the 149 episodes we have reviewed so far on the show and if any of today's secondary characters we have mentioned make our top 20. I was thinking that maybe um I should swing my arms a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's all I was saying. How's this? Or this? Or this? Well, or this? Seem to be getting the hang of it. Okay, where does the Summer of George appear in the uh, episodes we've reviewed so far? Out of 149, like I said before the break, my friend, number 43. So, uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, a wacky season eight episode, but not just because it's wacky doesn't mean it's a bad episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it was great. Raquel Welsh was really fun. I liked pretty much all the secondary characters. Even Sam was pretty funny as well. Jay Peterman makes an appearance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just really fun. You know, there was things happening all the time. There was never really like a dull moment. 
moment or, or a lull. And uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. What about you? Uh, it sits at number 51, so a bit lower than yours. I'm a bit disappointed the fact that, I mean, they do show a bit of George, you know, enjoying his summer but I think they, I mean, there's so many things going on in the episode. It would have been hard to find room for it. But I think uh, I would have liked it more if they just added a few more scenes of George doing, well, either nothing or just enjoying himself. You know, there's really only one version of him that, of him in that, in this episode, which is him just sitting on the couch and, you know, playing, spontaneously playing Frolf. So I don't know if they showed him lazing around more, if, if, or even if they just did like a little montage of him just doing, you know, slob shit in his apartment, you know, for 30 seconds, I, I think I would have enjoyed it more. It just feels a bit underwhelming because it's like, well, this episode is about the summer of George and they just didn't really show a lot. They talked about it a lot and they hyped it up a lot, but they didn't really show much of George's mm. period of relaxation. It just, it just feels a bit like a, almost like a bit of a tease in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because it's a season finale too, because in season nine and the butter shave, you know, you know, George, you know, he spent the whole summer in rehab and they grew moustaches, you know, him and Jerry and Kramer. Yeah. So you think maybe like him getting fired should have happened maybe a couple of episodes earlier and then maybe his summer of George should have begun maybe, you know, last episode. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I didn't actually think of them spreading it across uh, multiple episodes, but that would have even been better. I mean, there's been tons of seasons and episodes where he's been unemployed, but he's been unemployed and depressed. Whereas if they had two or three episodes of him being unemployed and enjoying it, I think it would just would have just hmm. had a different dimension to the George character. You know, it would have been like, yeah, well, yeah. even though he got fired from his dream job, at least he's having a good time for a couple of episodes, not just being depressed and you know struggling to find work and having to move back with, in with his parents. Fair enough. Well, I'm sure if it, if the summer of George wasn't the uh, season finale, they probably would have you know done another episode before it and then that one. But I think you know it would have been a bit weird. Yeah, I mean it would have been good if they had like George. You're, you're right. It would have been good if they had George. You know, having fun in one episode. Episode, and then you think, oh, George, you know, he's actually something's good going on in his life for the first time in many seasons. And then, yeah, you're right. He just, you know, him falls and, uh, you know, he could potentially not walk and he's got to spend the, in between seasons eight and nine uh, in rehab for the for the summer. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I wish they showed him having a good time per se, just more so I wish they showed him just doing whatever he was planning on doing, whether he was having a good time or not, whether it was fun or not. Yeah. Just, like him just being lazy, uh, I would have enjoyed more of, you know, if they showed a bit more of him just being a, a slob at home rather than just the one scene even a montage yeah, even a montage like you suggested would be good yeah they just did a 60 second montage of him just getting up to a bunch of lazy slob stuff i reckon that would have just been it would have been satisfying enough for me but obviously it's not about fair it. enough no no but it's all right but nonetheless uh, we both enjoyed it anyhow yes we did do any of the secondary characters appear in your top 20 no not today but special uh mention to raquel welsh uh, i like how like i mentioned it before the break i like how actors can just have a bit of fun and they can you know make fun of themselves and uh, yeah she was really great Probably one of the more memorable guest appearances on the show. What about you? No, they don't, but uh, a shout out to Lyle. I did like Lyle a lot. Cool. Yeah, no, I know you do. <laughs> He's another, well, not, not a malcontent like you normally enjoy, uh, but more of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, which is good. Yeah, just just a slightly different sort of secondary. Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, but anyway, that was Summer of George. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Bidwabask. We do appreciate you listening to us and getting in touch with us. And uh, yeah, Steve and I, like we mentioned at the start, we're feeling really good because now Melbourne is coming out of lockdown in the next couple of days and uh, we're going to be back to some semblance of normality. It's been really hard for us over the last few months and uh, Stephen will be back in the studio with me next week and we're going to be uh, doing it all over again in person, my friend. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. And uh, if you want to email us, you can bidwabaspodcast at gmail.com. You can check out all of our social media details in the show notes. And uh, if you want to support us, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast app of choice and uh, financially as well is uh, a way that you can support us too. Yes, on Patreon and PayPal and Patreon 
Patreon, you do get this episode earlier than everyone else, and you get bonus podcasts, Curbcast and Season 11. And next week, Stephen, we are going to Season 6, and we're going to do The Secretary. I'm giving you a raise, as George climaxes. Yeah. <laughs> a raise. Yeah, oh, he certainly got a raise beforehand. <laughs> Not a permanent raise, though, a short-term raise. Uh, just enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but anyway, yes, we're talking about the secretary and other secondary characters in that one. Uh, and like I said, thank you so much for listening. My name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. You take care of yourselves and each other, uh, especially to our European and US listeners. I know it's been really hard with the second and third waves you're getting uh, where you are. So please stay safe and we hope we can give you some kind of comfort while you're persevering. So uh, yeah, take care of yourselves and each other and we'll catch you next week. All right. Indeed. And uh, after this is all over, the rest of life will feel like a minute summer of George so just keep your eye on that and uh, yeah things will get better but uh, we'll catch you all next week uh, yep take care